Welcome back, Rebels. We often talk about what we are, but we very rarely talk about what we are not. Yeah, we often talk about who we're for, but we don't often talk about who we're not for. We always think about, yeah, who is our audience? Who are we trying to target here? But I think it's equally as important to decide who we're not for, because as soon as you've got an idea who that is, because because newsflash, you're not for everyone. And as soon as you realise you're not for everyone, your life is going to become so much easier. Yeah, I, I think so many people, we've been talking about a lot about money and and earning a living on the show recently, sort of really, really getting down into that that difficult thing, which is like making a living from this and actually getting people to pay you for your yeah. work. And so the the really hard stumbling block on that is is wanting to be for everyone because you don't know where your next meal is coming from. So you you really don't want to shut doors. Um, but it's actually in the shutting of doors. It feels so counterintuitive and it's something it took us a long time to learn. Like our doors were like consistently open for everyone for the longest amount of time. And it wasn't until you sort of start to realise actually by closing a lot of these doors and saying this is who this is not for, uh, that you're actually going to get not only more clients if if you're if you're doing everything correctly, more clients, but also the clients that you actually really want to work with. That's the important thing, isn't it? And I think at the start, it's very easy to say yes to everything. And I, I always kind of advocate say yes to everything at the start because when you start anything, you don't know where it's going to go. Like our lives over the past year and a half have taken a very different turn to what we ever thought would happen. And that just comes down to saying yes to different things at the right times. And sometimes those yeses turn out to be the things that you progress in, the things that you continue in. Sometimes you say yes to something and it teaches you never to do that again. And I think that a lot of that comes from experience because we can tell you work with these kind of clients, don't work with these kind of clients, but that's not for us to say. Like we don't know who you are, what kind of people mm. you want to work with. There is that balance of working with lots of different kinds of people to work out who is right for you and who you enjoy working with the most, who's the easiest to work with. And it's only through that kind of experience that you realize, actually, I'm not for these kinds of people. And if those kind of people come to me, it might be in my interest to say no to those people rather than saying yes, which it's so hard because when you're first getting started, there are limited opportunities for you. So as soon as one comes along, you're like, oh, there's some money there. I'm going to go and get that. Which at the start, if you still haven't decided that that's kind of a client that you want to work with or don't want to work with, then say yes to it, take the money and learn from that. But if you work with a kind of client and you hated it previously and they come back, a different kind of client that's the same comes back to you, that's the kind of time you should say no because you've learned from what you've done before and I think that's the important part isn't it it's like once you've done something learn from it and then move on from there yeah I was speaking to uh, a young artist who I, I help sort of quite often and she was saying you don't understand how fucking hard it is for me right now uh, she's like two grand into her overdraft and uh, she ha she hasn't got this month's rent literally hasn't got this month's rent and I was like well, I do, because I remember when we were there. Um, We've been there and yeah. and I know I, I knew at the time the advice that she didn't need to hear was like it wouldn't be remember these times because you'll look back on them so fondly because these are the times that are like making you the the future creative that you're going to be. Like absolutely massively. Like this is a foundational she's not trying to hear that right now because she's got to pay her fucking yeah. rent. And she's doing a lot of, she's an illustrator, she's doing a lot of logos for people and she hates it, absolutely hates the, that work. She wants to be an artist who is, but she's, because there is a skill that she has that people want to pay her for, she's kind of stuck in yeah. the, 
that in the and and she's not able to charge very much because it's a, a very crowded marketplace and people aren't coming to her for her original style for which you can charge a premium they're coming to her because she's able to facilitate what it is that that they want from her um and so really my advice in in that stage was like you're just going to slowly build your way out of this. It's going to be, it's not, this is not going to be a next week thing of all of a sudden you get to say no to doing all of these shitty jobs that you don't want to do. All of these logos that are coming into you that you you don't care about, that you're not putting out on your social media. You're not proud of them. They are just literally, they equal the cornflakes in your bowl in the morning. They're literally just paying for you to survive at the moment. I was like, that's, that's fine. Like, don't, don't think because you hear us saying like, You've got to be working with the best clients. You've got to find those people who are like, that's a process that is going to take a lot of time. And what should hopefully be happening is if you are in one of those situations where currently you you sort of feel a little bit trapped because you're working on the thing that you don't enjoy, but it's paying the bills and you've got this shiny thing over here that you really see as your future, but you never have any time to work on it because you're always working on the crap thing over here. Like just gradually, bit by bit, start knocking off saying no to a client whilst you build up and that's going to take extra work and that's going to take time and I was I was saying to her like how can you be building this new career where are you going to find the time to is it is it charging more for the logo work so that it frees so you need to do a little bit less logo work so you've got a little bit more time to work on, on yeah. your other things like how are you going to free yourself from that trap and I and dude it's it's really hard and and um, because I always want to give the, the true story on here and I don't want to come on and say you should only be working with amazing people that you love because that would be painting a very fluffy, cloudy, beautiful world that it just isn't a reality. So, yeah. but that Nirvana is possible. Like you can get to the stage and there are creatives out there who are working with people that they love working with, that they're building relationships with, that are regular clients that are allowing, that are facilitating them to do their best work and to carry on making that work because they're the sort of clients that are, are supporting them through that. Um, it is out there, it does happen, but I think a lot of the creators that we talk to that are at that stage, it's been a 10-year, 12-year, 5-year process to get to that stage. It's hard when you're a creative when you do have those, like a multiple facet of skills because people come to you whether you can do that or not but like that person's a creative i'm sure they could do a logo design i'm sure they could do a website i'm sure they could do all of the different things that because you're a creative they assume you can do and this is basically for the fact that as a creative you probably learn some adobe software when you're younger and that just is one step ahead of where everyone else is and just because you can do it it doesn't mean you should go and do that but it's also a great entry like i think this is what we need to think about so if you're doing that logo design don't just do the logo for that client and leave. You need to think about, okay, well, I'm going to do this logo for them. Let's sit down and like, let's have a meeting and be like, why do you need this logo doing? And then you can start to talk to them about their brand as a whole. And it suddenly becomes a bigger thing than it started. And you could actually, what I would try and do, if you're an illustrator and you're currently doing logos for someone, the next client that comes for a logo, I'd sit and try and have a conversation with them and tell them, like basically sell them your illustrations, like tell them how your illustrations can make their business better, make their business more money. And if you can convince them that actually, oh, that's a good idea, let's try that, that this logo could be the entry, it could be the gateway into doing like so much stuff. Like there was a brewery a few years ago who I did some social media work with. And just by talking to them, they mentioned that they were going to rebrand at some point. And I was like, I would love to rebrand a brewery. That's something that I've always wanted to do. And then managed to turn a meeting about helping them with Instagram into 
completely rebranding their business, designing cans, doing all these different things that wouldn't have happened unless you had that conversation. I think if someone trusts you enough to design them a logo, which is the face of their business, they're going to trust you to do more things. So it's about building that relationship because you might actually find you can turn some of those clients into the exact thing that you were looking for, but they just don't know it yet because all they think they need is a, currently a logo. Whereas the chances are they're after a bit more branding than just this visual identity. So like what else can you do for them that could maybe like grow that? Yeah, so it comes down to really having the courage to let people know what it is you do and not to worry about appearing that you're you're promoting or selling yourself or going overly hard at, at the other stuff that you can bring to the table because again it comes back to that what like how are you going to provide them value and if you have another additional product or service there's the thing that you really care about the thing that you're trying to get off the ground there's no there's no harm in mentioning that um if you can if you can direct the conversation towards them talking about their problems and then there's something that you offer that actually solves one of those problems then that's a match made in heaven because you didn't go to you didn't talk to that brewery with the intention of getting them to sign you up for a branding deal you went there to help them with yeah. their social media through natural conversation they told you a problem that they were having and you said well i've actually got a solution for that problem and it resulted in happy you getting paid happy client got their branding done like like ev everyone from that partnership benefited but it was not the meeting that you were there to do it was a conversation yeah that that solved a problem and i think that's the important thing to do as a creative like our job is like for me creativity is problem solving so it's like if you can go to anyone and find out what the problems are you can be the solution to those there's a good chance that what you do can help them in some way but that only comes from asking the questions if someone comes to you and says can you design me a logo and you say yes it'll cost this much that's not a conversation that's just a one-way thing that's like walking into a shop you're a commodity there you've walked in you've seen 59p for this bag of crisps you bought it gone you never speak to that shop owner again it's like the conversations of where relationships are going to form and good business comes from good relationships so what can you do to help facilitate that like why do they want to get this logo done and also like we always come back to the idea of you're probably not charging enough like work out what it is you will charge a day and if someone comes to you for a different service like we have kind of a fixed day for like our graffiti painting of like okay this is how much roughly we need to earn a day as a creative if someone comes to me and they're like well i need you to do this other thing that's not your normal thing you just don't charge what you think they want you to charge charge what you're worth because it's like by you working for them that's taking you away to, from doing the other thing which is a really important thing that we need to think about is like yes it might be short-term money for that specific job but if that's then stopping us doing the other thing that's going to head us in the direction that we need to go then actually that's costing us more than we think it is. Yes, we might be earning, but we're actually losing off on our actual passion that we're trying to like head in that route. So it's making sure that if we say yes to things, like we've we've talked about we've talked in the show before about like our like fuck off rate. It was like a, if someone comes to you and you really don't want to do it, but actually by charging this amount for it, you would do it because then that's going to facilitate you doing something that's going to help you. Then sometimes that's what we have to do in those situations and especially when we're getting started when we, we don't have the luxury of clients just throwing themselves at us the whole time we can like really start to kind of shape this business this creative path that is beneficial to us and not just the client i think the interesting thing as well is that we're, we're talking about working with the people that you want to work with and that the transformation of doing the job that you want to be doing 
may actually transform that into a client that you want to work with. There's a magical thing that happens when all of a sudden you stop doing the work that you're not enjoying for that client and actually start doing something new for them and realize that you're aligned on the new thing. So maybe if previously you'd written them off as this is not the kind of client that I really want to work with, maybe once it's reframed and you're working on a different project, something that's giving you a lot more energy, they might all of a sudden become a a good link and someone that you actually realize that you have a lot more in common with than you first thought. Yeah, and especially when it comes to like logo design and business owners and starting those relationships, there's a good chance that if you're working for someone who wants a logo as an example, they're a business owner because they've come to you for the logo, probably for their business. There's a good chance that they know other business owners as well. So just by telling them what you do, telling them you're an illustrator, telling them you do whatever you do. Like if you're a ceramicist and someone they know owns a restaurant and you could potentially do all the ceramics for that restaurant, like that's a potential that could happen there. But if you don't tell people what you actually do, people are never going to ask for it. And you need to be known as the person who does the thing that you want to be doing, not the person who will do that kind of quick logo on the side for the on the side for cheap kind of like as and when they need it yes so which brings us around really to the the telling people what you don't do um, and that being such a powerful almost like a powerful marketing tool Um, I think we've spoken in the past and obviously we've had Seth Godin on the show who's who's the master of finding your tribe and aligning people around you I think such a powerful way of doing that is by saying what you're not because by saying what you're not it it galvanizes the people who are. So if if you if your tagline is, I don't know, this is not for conservative people, then if I'm a risk taker, then all of a sudden that's attractive. If I'm someone who likes to gamble, yeah, for me. Yeah. Yeah, then then I know that is for me by telling me who it's not for. And I think there's almost something more powerful in the neck rather than saying, this is for the gamblers, this is for people who like to take a chance, by going, this is not for people who play it safe it's actually more powerful to say it that reverse way. And I don't know what that is, whether that's a psychological thing of, of humans are yeah. programmed to to connect to negativity more than they do positivity. It comes down to the status we put on ourselves in terms of like who we believe we are kind of deep down. Because if you had a brand and you said, we're not for lazy people, then if you were kind of, if you looked at that in the flip side of it and you saw that and you're like, oh, am I a lazy person? No, 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 I'm not a lazy person. And then I would go for that. It's almost like by having that kind of negative on it, it makes me say like, oh, actually, that's not who I am. So I'm going to come on board with that to show to the rest of the world that I'm not a lazy person too. And I think it's that whole status game of like being able to say to the world what you are and what you aren't is a really powerful thing. Yes. And I think a great example of that and what sparked this whole conversation is this week's guest. Yep. This week's guest, Laura Jassi, has done exactly that. And she's basically said on top of all of her social media things, this is who I'm not for. She says, if you're looking for weight loss tips, this is not the place to go. Go elsewhere. And just by saying go elsewhere means that anyone who is going to stay there has been like, actually, okay, well, I've read that. And that means this is the place for me, which I think is quite hard to do when you're building a community. Just allowing someone to know whether this is the right place for them within a sentence. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it has a good way of weeding out the people who are not going to be interested in our content. Um, I first came across Laura's TikTok. Uh, she's she's exploded her TikTok. I think she's over 300,000 followers on there now. She's exploded super fast on there. And as soon as I saw one of her videos, I was just like, I just want to have a conversation with this person because she is so, we talk about it a little bit in the episode, but the way that she's able to come on across on camera is just so genuine that you just feel like, here's a nice person that I'd like to have a chat with. And luckily we have this podcast, so that's a, a thing that can happen. Um, so yeah, really, I really enjoyed this chat as well. It's um, it's very, 
not very different to what we what we normally talk about but it's nice to have uh, someone in who's sort of a very different industry to us and uh yeah. i think we there, there was a lot of gold in this episode yeah definitely and i think there's one thing that i really took away from this was just the fact that looking at her account and the way that you first initially saw her you think that this is someone who's super confident they're on tiktok with their own face talking to the camera all the time and actually talking to her she was like i don't feel confident so if you're the kind of person who doesn't feel confident in front of camera this is definitely one that you'll get some good takeaways from 100 percent. let's get into it hi laura hi welcome to the show how's everything going thank you for having me it's going well it's been uh busy but uh no it's going really well thank you always a good thing um so laura how did you end up in la mate uh good question so i am very fortunately had the opportunity to move out here for a while a lot of my family is out here um and then um ended up getting married and we sort of my um better half is british so we had to kind of do the whole you know fun visa paperwork etc and then we just sort of jumped shit my 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 better half's work kind of has an office out here and i we just decided to totally relocate (laughs) were you personal training at that point or did that come later after you arrived in LA? So I was personal training a little bit before we left London, but I actually used to work in TV. So I was a production manager um, for a very long time and um, got very burnt out and, you know, as it happens. And so I was like, you know, I can't can't keep doing this. And so I just decided um, to dip my toe into fitness and become a personal trainer. And then when we moved out here, I was like, We'll go whole hog. I'll just do personal training, and because um, back in London I was kind of doing a bit of both TV and personal training. So when we moved out here. I just did it full time. Well, at that point when you were kind of thinking, oh, maybe personal training could be a thing that I could do. At what point, like, how did you find the time to actually do both things? Because obviously, it sounds like your main job was pretty busy. Yeah, I think um, I did. I did it bit by bit. I think I could have definitely done it in a smoother transition, but I was like, oh, in the UK, like you become like a gym instructor first. And I was like, oh, I'll see if I like that. And then I liked that. And then I actually became, um, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a body pump class, I became a body pump instructor. Um, so I kind of did it bit by bit, but I used to just get up very early and study for it and then go to the office work, you know, however long it takes. And then, yeah, I'm an early bird. I forced myself to become an early bird. And how did you force yourself to become an early bird? Because I feel like that's something that so many people have this issue around getting up early. Whereas I was kind of looking into like the neuroscience of it and I suppose only 30% of people are technically night owls and everyone else is either an early bird or can be flexible either way. Interesting. I didn't know that. I, um, I did literally just forced myself to get up I was like you know the coffee is there if I and I don't press um, I don't press snooze if I if the alarm goes off like I have to bolt out because if I press snooze it's all downhill from there so I was like no just get up do an hour of like revision or whatever and then um yeah that was kind of how but consequently like now I really am an early bird and I'll get up early but by 7 p.m I'm done like I'm I'm, I'm incoherent at 7 p.m so that's the flip side of it I bet everyone listening to this is like, I'm definitely, I am the 30%. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so true. Statistically speaking, you're you're probably not. Um, so <laughs> it, it seems to me that, have you gone through sort of an evolution with your, with your career as a personal trainer in that the things that you were teaching when you first started, you're actually not teaching anymore and, and you're actually teaching something quite, quite different now? 
hundred percent. Yeah, I definitely, um, and especially when I was, um, I kind of got, I actually got into fitness quite late in life. I, I really, um, I t- probably didn't enter a gym properly until I was about 22, 21. And then, and so, and when I entered in that phase, I was in a very kind of toxic TV environment. And I just thought that fitness was the answer. Um, where as in, in actuality, you know, therapy was the answer or whatever, but, um, but I kind of would jump whole head, whole hog into fitness. Um, and, really drank the Kool-Aid when it came to, at the time it was like 2000. So, you know, low carb or, you know, really drank like the diet culture Kool-Aid. And it's only from that, that I've kind of thankfully to many people on the internet and many books and things like that, been able to do research to see kind of the true side of true side of fitness. I think I might offend people by saying that, but yeah. It's, it's funny when you mentioned the TV industry there, because we, we always think like, oh, the pressure on the actors of of being on the front cover and whatever, and they have to appear a certain way. And I, I mean, especially women. Um, but then we don't really think like, because you, you were behind the scenes, but I'm sure so much of that trickles down into that industry of like everyone, even if you're behind the camera, having to look a certain way. Was Did you feel sort of that, a pressure of, of, of that sort of culture? A little bit. I think it's funny, but somebody has said something similar to me before, and I think you definitely see it in front of the camera and that where I worked, um, a couple of the places where I worked, you know, you'd see the on-screen women versus the on-screen men and, you know, full transparency. The women looked like they were going out to a bar or a nightclub with what they were wearing and the heels and the glam and all of that, and guys are just in their suits. Like, So there was definitely a pressure on women to look a certain way, and probably subconsciously that did trickle down to, like, behind the camera, um, but also I think there's, and there is this pressure with people in front of the camera as well, but, but the pressure to, um, kind of be there the longest in the office or, you know, do the longest hours or have the highest productivity, et cetera. That was, there's a lot of pressure in that regard as well, which is just as toxic as kind of how people look as well. I really love when we interviewed Chase Jarvis and he used this description of, of like creating your career as in like you're in you have the power to make get to make your career give you the things that you want it to. Have you been able to sort of like strip away all of those pressures that you found in your old industry by, by creating your new career? career? Yeah, it's funny. It, it still took a while. Like I will say when I started in personal training and kind of teaching classes, especially when we moved here, I was like, must do everything, must just say yes to everything. And, and initially pre-pandemic, I was teaching a lot of classes, training clients, you know, back to back and really still on the hamster wheel of like that grind. And maybe one of the blessings of the pandemic is to say like, it actually stripped everything back. And I was like, well, what do I want to do with this role and job that I love? But, you know, work, starting work at 5am and not getting home till 10pm as a personal trainer, like it's not really sustainable. Um, So yeah, I actually agree that you are able to kind of, especially kind of when you work for yourself, you're able to create that um create a good working life for yourself but kind of also takes a second to learn that because especially when you're working for yourself sometimes you don't know when the next paycheck's coming right and you're like just say yes to everything um so yeah it definitely takes a second i think like at the start that's the period where when you are saying yes to everything you're still learning and it's like it's through doing that that you learn what you do like and what you don't like because i feel like it's easy to listen to people to say, yes, do this, do this, do this, but everyone's completely different. And when designing a career for you, you need to make sure it's designed for you and not just Mm -hmm. because someone else has told you that this is the way it should be. 
So I think that's where that saying yes, like which is so important with startup, because I think we often hear say no, that's you need to say no all the time. But when you're first getting started, I think saying yes to as many things as possible to learn what you do want to do and what you don't want to do is the most important thing at that point. Totally. I think I was, you know, talk about being an early bird. I was sort of forcing myself to be out the door at 4.15 pre-pandemic. And I was like, to get to a teacher class at 5 a.m., whatever. And I was like, this is, am I actually enjoying getting up at 4.15? That's probably a stretch too far for me. Um, but yeah, it 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 is. you do need to say yes to everything to figure out what it is that you want to do. And then at some point, whether you like it or not, there comes this point where you're like, okay, I can't do everything anymore. And, and I don't want to do everything anymore. So yeah, definitely. And how do you reckon you know when that point comes a lot? Pandemic. Fingers <laughs> <laughs> um, crossed for another one. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I think um, it definitely was getting to that point um, just before the pandemic. And we're very lucky. We have a garage and, and actually in the February. So I think it was around the same time, but in the March of 2020, everything locked down here. And um, we actually totally coincidentally revamped our garage to be a gym for me and so um and to train clients there and it, it, that actually to be totally honest with me with you it's my better half was like you don't need to be like running around and training people in other people's gyms we can do it here and so it was actually quite helpful to have that person that just to push you to say you know you can do this by yourself you don't need to do it with other people um but I think it does take some level of self-reflection to be like I'm burnt out this doesn't feel good how do I make this feel better? I think there's such a, a kind of negative culture around burnout and everyone's like, don't want to burn out. But I almost feel like you can learn a lot from burning out. And yeah. we shouldn't, I think, especially at the start, we should almost keep going until we hit that point where we're like, okay, this is too much now. Now I need to reassess what I'm doing and kind of backstep. Because I think it's only then that I think you ever learn something. Like so many people that we've talked to on this show, a big life change happens when something like, big happens in their life and i feel like it takes that kind of like shaking like burnout or a pandemic as an example like something to make you stop and be like whoa i can't keep going like this to make you really stop and reassess which i think is a really healthy thing to do which i think not enough people did do until the pandemic is actually stop and reflect on where they've come because it's very easy to just keep going and not actually think well what am i doing am i doing something that's making me happy Am I heading in the direction that I want to be heading? You're right, actually. With regards to burnout, I mean, especially with regards to when I was in TV and then kind of the fitness industry, if I hadn't had that burnout in TV, I may not be here, you know, and, and as much as I want to say it is, it can be a very toxic environment, TV, not every, not everywhere in TV, but, you know, if I hadn't had that, probably wouldn't be doing this. Um, and so you're right that it does take, like, to push yourself to... A place where you're like, okay, I'm not happy. I'm not saying everybody should not be happy, but like, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. What do I want? Um, and yes, and also sometimes when gyms close because of a pandemic, that also helps you to reevaluate mm. what it is that you're doing with your life. Yeah, that what do you want is such an important question, and I don't think enough people know what they want. And if you don't know what you want, then everything in life is just a maze because you don't. You've got no clear direction how can you know where you're plotting to go to if you don't actually know where you want to go to totally and I think especially with regards to like office jobs and things like that like whatever kind of industry you're in I think 
so often mapped out for people that they'll just end up in an office, you know, whatever the industry is. And that, that I, I was that, I was like, well, I know I want to be in TV and I just ended up in an office. And I was like, I don't know exactly what I wanted, but I think it's what most people are guided towards in a way. Like it's just the norm. Um, and yeah, it definitely takes, I mean, you know, I was in TV for 10 years and it took me 10 years to be like, this is not fun anymore. It sounds like your, your partner's really supportive because you've mentioned her a number of times. Um, was she kind of seeing that burnout kind of before you and saying like, like how, like how encouraging was she? Cause, cause I just think when it comes to partners, it's so difficult to give that advice of like, you should leave your career. And so how did, how was she around that whole transition? So the transition from TV to kind of fitness industry, I, um, I kept it very quiet. Like I didn't really tell anybody that I was doing it. Obviously my better half knew Priya and, and I think I might've told my mum, but other than that, I really didn't tell anybody that I was doing it. And it was like, you, you go to the gym so often, why don't you just become this? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> a great idea. Just get paid to go instead. Um, and so just very supportive, I think. Um, just, it, you know, when you totally jump career into something totally different, you have no idea whether you're going to be good at it or not. And so having that person that was like, no, you're going to be fine at this. Like, don't worry. And so, yeah, it definitely meant the world. And, I, you know, I don't know that I would have done it had that not been the case or don't know that I would have had the confidence to just do it myself. And then when it came mm. to... Um, kind of working in gyms to kind of working privately that that was just a push from my better half which was just you know I don't know you, you may know this but personal trainers that work in gyms this is probably quite obvious don't get how much the client pays you know a large proportion of how much you pay for a personal trainer in a gym um is just given to the gym and so you can work from 5am to 10pm and really not be making that much money and so my better half who's very financially savvy was like this no this is not adding up here so it was kind of that push that was like we can do this ourselves that's really helpful because that model i feel is is across so many industries so we think of an artist trying to sell paintings through a gallery system or uh, a singer trying to release an album on a on a record label there are so many of these institutions in place that are taking the the lion's share of the money for doing very little work uh, which is so frustrating. And I, I think I love the way that things are heading currently with social media and all of the talk of like Web 3.0. I don't know how like how much you've heard about that, but just the way that things are going where the so much more control is going to be and already is in the creator's hands for us to say like, yes, maybe there is an institution or a well-established name that, that will is is kind of good by association uh, where we can learn. But really, if we do want to be kind of thriving within an industry, it's probably going to be on our own. Yeah, totally. And and on, on the flip side, that's also really scary, you know, because you see these big institutions, you see, you know, I don't, full transparency. When I moved to LA, um, Equinox, I, I got a job at Equinox. And I was like, oh, you know, one of the biggest and fanciest names in fitness must go there. And then it was only when I kind of researched them as a company to work for that I was like, no, no, must not go there. Like, you know, <laughs> and it, you can kind of get blinded by the big names, I think. And actually then to kind of go, go it alone is daunting, but you're right in the long run, you have so much more autonomy, but you know, much more financially stable that um, it pays in the long run. 
you mentioned earlier something which I don't really understand, um, the word diet culture. Could you, I think I've got a rough idea, but could you explain in idiot terms what that actually is? So diet culture refers to the sort of multi-billion dollar industry that is the diet industry. And um, so, you know, think keto, Atkins, Weight Watchers, etc. Um, and so right. it kind of refers to the culture around that, which is, thin equals healthy and thin equals best so when i say thin it sort of refers to women but just a smaller body equals healthy and equals your best version of yourself um and sort of refers to the the bombardment that we get with regards to dieting or weight loss and all of that and sort of opening eyes to that culture yeah and i suppose with men it's it's there's definitely an archetype for that it's like lean lean and muscular Hundred percent. I mean, I'm not a man, so I can't vouch. I can't sort of speak on that behalf. But yes, it's that um, sort of the Marvel characters. You know, mm. kind of this sort of Superman. Yeah, being lean, um, sort of the Hollywood male look. Yeah. And so you're really going out of your way to sort of bust those myths because when it's interesting, you you describe it as diet culture because when we think of what a culture is like you don't you often don't realize that you are in culture it's it's almost like water around like the fish in water that they don't realize that they're in water culture has so many effects on us that we're not conscious of and and it can be everything from billboards to what we're watching on tv and and like everything that's bombarding us i do, i've i've read before the the studies of like how much information the human brain has to process on a on a daily basis and it's like i can't remember what it actually is but i remember it was a fucking lot and, <laughs> and i suppose that ingrained in all of that is is the yeah that image of i i suppose is it like it's like when you congratulate someone for I've like always noticed this like oh you look you look thinner like oh you look in good shape and that's you're tr- like actually you're probably coming from like a really genuine place of like trying to make that person feel good but it, it like if that's because you are within a culture that you don't understand that like actually maybe they're not healthy and maybe they're not maybe they're starving themselves or or whatever or even darker things that that come along with that you're right. I, I think that kind of diet culture, when you when you start to notice it, you really notice it's everywhere. Um, and it, I had a, I wish I'd filmed it, but it was too, it was too organic at the time. But like me and my better half are watching TV and there's an, a commercial here that is, um, I don't think you'd ever see this in the UK, but it's a commercial for kind of uh, surgery. I think it's liposuction, but I can't remember for sure, but it's some sort of fat loss surgery. And the woman... Um, in the commercial, you see her, she sort of moves from sitting at the side of the boardroom table, she gets up and sits at the end of the table. And that's because she's gone and had this fat loss surgery. And, you know, <laughs> you sort of see this thing and, and you kind of let it go because you're right, we digest so much information on a daily basis. But um, my better half was like, sorry, are they saying that if you go and get the liposuction, you'll make it to the head of the boardroom table? And I was like, yes, yeah. that is fundamentally what they're saying. And, and it's only when you realise how warped that is that um, you can really open your eyes to it. But yes, it's that kind of culture that's all around us, um, but it's when you sort of open your eyes to it that you really see it. So so we want a girl boss, but she's got to be a skinny girl boss. She can only saying. be a skinny girl boss. And, um, you know, not to get too deep and meaningful, but more often than not, they tend to be Caucasian. They tend to be white, you know, at yeah. the top of their table. And, and that's another thing is that something I've learned along the way is diet culture is so rooted, not to get too deep and meaningful, in 
racism and this idea that thin is healthy and that is what we should all aspire to to your point whether it's in a healthy way or not so often when we congratulate people on weight loss um we don't know where they're coming from with that um and maybe they've done it in a relatively quote-unquote healthy way um but still even if we're congratulating them on their weight loss and it's what they want is to be recognized for their weight loss yeah what what we're also implying is your body before wasn't good enough. Like, you know, I have to congratulate this new version of you because that previous body wasn't good. And so, and and it, especially when you see it on the internet, when you see people kind of do these body transformations like before and after, um, what are we saying to the person that looks like the before? We're saying somebody had to go to extreme lengths to go from this version to that version. And whether they feel better or not, whether they've, you know, whether they obsess over food, obsess over tracking calories, etc., it doesn't matter. We're just going to congratulate the thinner body, however they got there, and that's the real sort of toxic side of this culture. I would like to just jump back quickly because you mentioned the racism there. I think that's that's a really interesting point not to not to skim past. Like sure. how how can diet culture be racist? I, like, as I, I saw your video talking about um, BMI, and I thought that was fascinating. So, yeah, could you just let us know a little bit about where that's rooted? Totally. Um, and full transparency, you know, I'm, I'm not the first person to say this. There are pe- people in plus size and, and people of colour that have been saying this for much longer than I have, which is that there are elements of diet culture that are rooted in racism. So this idea that the thin white body is top of the pyramid that we all need to try and get to is this thin white body, regardless of our ethnicity, our genetic makeup, etc. One must strive for that thin white body when it comes specifically for women. And so, um, you know, you're right. When you mentioned BMI, that was a real light bulb moment for me that I was like, yeah, BMI as a, as a calculation is built off of um, white men from the 19th century. And they're seeing white men as the pinnacle of health. Now, like, you know, 21st century, you're like, that's ridiculous. Like who, you know, there are so many other ethnicities out there that that using this calculation based off of white men is ridiculous because, you know, we all have very different genetic makeup. Um, but I don't know how it is in the UK, but here in the US, BMI is used quite unanimously through insurance companies, um, whether it's medical, life insurance, et cetera. And if your BMI is a certain um, number, you can't get life insurance. You can't, your medical insurance is very difficult if you can afford medical insurance. So there it's like based on this very uh, racist and, um, you know, male orientated calculation that um, just has no relevance today. And one should also point out that it was to be used on a general population, not on an individual basis, but so there's a lot of problems with BMI specifically. Um, and then, as I said, diet culture itself is this idea for women that the female white body is what we should all strive for. And that's just, you know, baffling that, you know, somebody of a different ethnicity should strive to look like a thin white woman. But that, that's what we're told in diet culture, whether it's through mass media, social media, that thin white is the pinnacle of beauty. So that's why I love that you're you and other creators that are putting these these messages out there and, and just making like just regular Joes like me just actually stop for a minute and consider that because it's not something that I especially when it's coming from like science institutions and doctors I'm 
tend I tend to just sort of like listen to them without doing that deeper research and questioning um, that that yeah that it might all be based on. And it's it's so funny as you were talking, I was kind of like relating it back to creativity and and everything that we talk on talk about on the show. And it's so like we obviously we do this podcast every single week and we're giving out all of this advice. But what we're always saying is like whatever works for you if it works then it works like we can give our advice all day long and we can go here's what worked for us here's what worked for this guest but like if it doesn't work for you don't fucking do it and it's like it's it's so interesting when you look at uh, so many different things not just what you're talking about there but there's so many different things that this is just the way that it's done and you don't do it how it should work for your body type or your ethnicity or your fucking genetics, your yeah. genetics, which like you can't change that. I mean, not yet anyway, like you can't change that. It's like do what works for you. Do what works for you in creativity. Do what works for you in your diet. Do what works for you in in when you get up in the morning. Like do what works for you. Men and women, we're told that this body, whatever decade we're in, because it depends on the decade, this body is the pinnacle of beauty. So you know, we're in the 2000s. Kim Kardashian's body is the pinnacle of beauty. Therefore, you, whoever you are, you need to try and look like that, whether that's through exercise, whether that's through restricting your food, God forbid, if that's through surgery, you know, you need to have that kind of hourglassy figure. Um, And that's seen as beauty, that's seen as health. And it's like, you know, it's not for the vast majority of us to try and achieve that Kim Kardashian look. And I will never look like that. I'm not built that way. And so it's it's very sad, really, when you think about it and very scary that um, we're sort of told that this is what you should do and you have to do everything you can to look like that. And very similarly, as you said, with creativity, um, when I kind of started on TikTok, you know, people were doing dances. They were doing uh, very odd voiceovers to other people's sounds and that sort of thing. And I sort of tried, tried I never danced, but I dabbled with the um, kind of voiceover thing. And I was like, has no relevance to me whatsoever. Um, so I'm just going to like talk about things that basically I think are important or that matter to me or that I wish somebody had said to me 15 years ago. And if it people like it, then they like it. If they don't, whatever. If it just helps one person, then that's fine. So yeah, it's kind of trying to do, as you say, what works for you, despite the noise that's going on. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially on TikTok, because I think a lot of people, when TikTok first dropped and started to see people like pop on there, were like, fuck, I need to be on there. I need to be dancing. I need to be doing silly voiceovers. And the amount of people that you saw who would never do that comfortably normally would start doing these things, which as I was, negatively, they're just doing it because they think they should be. But I suppose there is the positive there of at least they're trying something and putting their voice and their face out there, which I think for a lot of people is really intimidating. How was it that you kind of overcame that? Were you always kind of confident in front of camera? Or is that something that kind of built over time? I think I'm definitely, I was never confident enough to try and like copy someone's dance. I just, that was never going to happen. I, I, funnily enough, when, when I, I film, it is like I'm talking to myself. It's not like there's anybody else there. Um, and so it, it's actually quite a, uh, an individual thing you quite not lonesome makes it sound like I'm lonely I'm not but it's it's honestly just like me talking to myself and um I sort of tend not to think about how many like who might see it um so I don't 
don't know that I'm particularly good in front of the camera. I'm not, I'm not particularly confident in front of the camera. I don't like photos being taken, etc. which sounds odd when you do TikToks. But um, no, I wouldn't say, it's honestly just like chatting to myself. And, and as I said, if I've heard something that I find interesting or something that I'm like, that I think I know, but other people might not know, etc., then I'm like, okay, I should do something on that. For example, the BMI is racist um, or, you know, something very diet culture-y. Um, and people have their opinions. People, you know, say, no, that's not that. Or, you know, BMI isn't racist or whatever they think. And that's fine. But it, it, as I said, if it's just one person that tweaks and is like, oh, yeah, this is a calculation based off of, like, the general population that was full of white men, just make somebody think a second. Yeah, and I think all you need is to make people think because nothing changes until thought, the thought, the ideas happen first. And if you can put that idea in someone else's head... Like all it takes is for it to land in someone's head that then goes to take action on it that then leads to something changing. And that's like the culture has shifted based on someone just saying one thing. And I think what was really interesting you saying there about how you don't feel like completely confident when you're on there. Because I think someone else looking at your account would see your account and be like, well, she's fucking well confident. Like the way you come across seems like you are so confident. So I think this is great for anyone listening to this just because you see someone online looking confident when they're doing something it doesn't mean that they are so don't set your own personal goals so high just like go and do it because you're not going to feel confident in doing it like when we started the show we were not confident in doing it at all and we just carried on until you get to a stage where you're never like 100% confident but you're confident enough that you're like ah oh, just put it out there it you care matter. a lot less yeah I've, I'm not I'm, I'm not confident in front of the camera I question everything that I put out and and I'm like oh god this is you know this gonna get some hate or whatever and, and you, do, you do get to a point you know the first couple of times that you get sort of some mean comments or whatever it does sting um and then sort of after a while you're like oh sod it if it's that bad they'll just like I can just take it down or whatever and I felt like that about the cheeseburger video I was like oh sod it just put it out there if somebody's gonna hate on it whatever because I had done a Krispy Kreme one before of this I was like Krispy Kreme donut versus protein cookie and um and I got some hate on that and I was like oh fine we 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 got through that one let's just put the bloody cheeseburger out and then yeah you know whatever um so you do kind of start to not care a little bit less but yeah maybe you care a little bit less about you know joe blogs opinion that doesn't even have a photo for his profile yeah those those silent trolls and those empty profile pictures i think the, the i mean one of the best things about if, if people start getting in these fights in the in the comments it's great for the algorithm uh <laughs> so that's that's at least one positive way to look at it I, I learned that the hard way. It was my better half that I was like, oh, I can't remember what it was, but I was like, these people are fighting in the comments and my better half was like, good, like, that's good. You, you know, it'll get surfaced more. And I was like, oh. And then you start to flip it on its head. Like it, when, if you do put out content that is like, you know, somewhat like people will argue over or people have got a negative opinion on, you start to see the negative comments as, as you're grateful for them because you're like, well, the more comments, the better when they're positive or negative. Yeah. I think also as well, like, online we generally live in a bubble of kind of just the same things we see all the time so i think sometimes to actually see those opposite opinions can be really beneficial to just understand the other side of things totally i think and and those opposing opinions i actually love to see um one video that i posted a while ago there's somebody and it had sort of the calories and the macros and somebody had said oh you know 
what you're doing is really problematic, putting calories and macros out there and it's really triggering for people. And I did a response to her and I was like, you're absolutely right. And actually, I'm really sorry. And it is something I really do consider having had a very difficult relationship with the food myself is how much will the negative outweigh the positive? And I'm never going to get it completely right, but I'm just hoping that the positive outweighs the negative. But yes, those opposing views um, when when articulated in a non-insulting way are, um, are always welcome because it's, that's how we learn. Yeah. And I think as well, it's understanding everything you see online isn't necessarily right or wrong, but it should like allow you to question it and look into it yourself. But it's like, you're just bringing like, oh, here's some facts. This has got this many calories, this many grams of fat, this many grams of sugar, for example, compared to this thing. This is a fact that has happened. So maybe you should just be more considerate when you go to purchase things because it's like the amount of things that there are in terms of like fake health foods or greenwashing or all the things that big corporations make lots of money off. Like maybe sometimes we should actually look a bit deeper into things rather than just taking them at face value. Totally. And that's even, in fact, a perfect example of diet culture, which is that, you know, slap the words high protein on something, make it triple the price and put it in a so-called health food store. And we automatically think it's healthy. Whereas if you compare it to a Krispy Kreme donut or a McDonald's cheeseburger, actually kind of similar, really. Um, mm. And so it, that it is, again, that kind of culture that is sort of ste- stealing your money playing off of your insecurities because you think, oh, if I eat this thing that says high protein, that makes me healthier. That makes me a better person. Actually, not really, you know, but it's this smoke and mirrors of diet culture. You're always concerned because you don't want ever, ever to affect someone negatively. Um, and I hope this doesn't make me sound like a terribly like out of touch boomer, but, but like we do have to have the conversations and like, yes, it might be triggering. And, but like on, I, this is one of the reasons why I love TikTok is because there are difficult conversations on there. There's people talking about sexual assault. I mean, I would say that there's a lot of triggering going on there, much more than compared to calories and macros. Not not to say that like an eating disorder or whatever, but um, but like, yes, there are going to be things that you are going to see specifically on that platform on TikTok. But like, isn't it fucking better to be having these conversations of of like if you think of of how like when I grow up, like just how buried everything was because we didn't have an internet and it, we just had four TV stations and, and all of that sort of stuff. And it's like any of my friends that were gay, for example, it's like there was no open forum for anyone to talk about it. It was like, it, it was just held down and repressed and it was bullshit. And like, at least, yes, there may be a video out there that might, so that might be difficult for someone to watch, but it also might help someone else or it might turn someone's opinion round, or it might make them think a little bit deeper about the the way that they treat someone, or or how they how they talk to someone. And I think that's important, and I and that's one of the things that I really love about TikTok specifically as a platform. There is this kind of rawness to TikTok, maybe that there is no, you know, one of what I always say to people: I don't believe in TMI. I just don't. I'll, I'll put it all out there. I'll say anything. I'll say exactly what's going on, and I just think that. That is something that comes with TikTok is that some of the ladies I follow really touch on kind of police brutality and a lot of during the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was so prevalent on TikTok and it was just eye opening to see, you know, how we might be affecting the world ourselves, being able to self-reflect and be like, crap, I've, you know, I've done things that, you know, now I realise they're wrong and I shouldn't have done them. And, um, you know, whether that is 
could be to do with anything similar to what you were saying earlier about complimenting somebody's weight loss, you know, mm-hmm. how we interact with the world. I think having that reflected back on us and, and seeing things through somebody else's eyes, you're right, whether it's triggering or not, it's that element of like self-reflection of, oh, did, am I, am I adding to this? Like, oh, I didn't know this was going on, etc. And there is this realness to TikTok. I think that, um, is, is different to other social media platforms. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why you've been so successful on there because you, you, when you describe like, oh, well, I just talk like I'm talking to myself, that's what that platform wants. And I've, I've got a friend who at the moment, he's, he's determined to crack TikTok and he's making all of these, he, he makes um, videos. So he's, he's well-versed in like editing and cuts and, and be- like beautiful composition, composition and, and the aperture, everything's like blurry in the background and it, visually it looks beautiful. And I'm like, dude, that's not what people are turning into TikTok. Like they want you in your pajamas. Like, oh, I've just woken up and I haven't got any makeup on yet. And and here's a thought that I just had out of my head that I'm probably still working it out as it's going into my phone. And and it's, you mentioned the word raw. I, I, I guess that's the, the, the perfect description of it. It's like, we're so, we've had 10 years of this platform in Instagram that is just like, everything's perfect and we all love our lives and everything is brilliant. And then TikTok has come along as this alternative that has got Instagram in a tailspin. They don't know what the fuck to do with it because it's the antithesis of people are making these videos about like just like like taking the piss out of being depressed and all of that sort of stuff. It's like it's so different. And I think there's there's a it's a great space. Like that's that's a great thing to have. Totally. And I think like one okay, do some of the most followed people on TikTok literally just stand in their pajamas and do a dance and they'll get millions and millions of likes and it's just, you're right it is this rawness to it and you know I see other people with like millions of likes on things that they're just like their face isn't even completely in the screen right it's just this one half of their face and they're talking about something and it's it's there is this real like snappiness very quick um it's not fancy at all and I think um to really like that maybe they needed a change right maybe instagram it was too too glitzy and, and people needed a bit of a change but yeah there's something about it and it's rawness that people really have taken to i got i got triggered the other day when uh, I, I watched a video about like oh here's how millennials uh film themselves because we're like because we go like that and i was like oh fuck yeah well that that is how you film yourself and like all jen said are holding their phones down here and stuff yeah. like, oh, like, yes. i'm getting old there's like just half the face on the screen or whatever and i see like my cousins who are kind of much younger than me and they're all doing these like snapchats of like what like just their chin or something and i'm like i don't understand why you're getting anyway i'll never these crazy kids it. i know right? i'm not to be fair though whenever my family are like oh god laura's on tiktok again and i'm like i don't know what i'm doing but just you know we're just on tiktok <laughs> so for your advice for anyone who's not currently on tiktok or has maybe just started like what would your advice to someone be just put it out there just just say it you know and if nobody likes it if one person likes it you know that uh, just just put it out there because i think i wish i'd started kind of being more me earlier on when i started on tiktok i didn't really talk to the camera i just put like text on screen and thought that was really innovative and and actually simpler is better and just kind of just say it really and and it's very weird to hear the sound of your own voice it's very weird to look back at yourself and try and edit yourself and we'll we're always our own worst critic right but I think just less is more and just just bloody well put it out there 
How much of effect has it had on business? It's had a good effect on business. Uh, okay, it great. Has. I'm very lucky to say it has had a good effect on business. Um, I have some clients that I've had for a long time that have absolutely no idea that I'm TikTok and I'm, I'm on TikTok and I'm so happy about that. Um, but we, I think it's had, it has had a very good effect on, on business because I, I hope I offer a different side to fitness and exercise where shame is not a part of it and you can exercise, you know, my biggest motto when it came to being a personal trainer was I want to try and make exercise available and and uh, applicable to anybody and everybody you know it's a it's a right for all of us and exercise and fitness looks very different for everybody it doesn't it doesn't have to be this very um elite group of people that only exercise um and so I think hopefully that's come across in, in what I put out on TikTok and um and kind of just allowed people to think, okay, my exercise regime doesn't need to look like super shredded Sally's. It can look like my routine and I can actually enjoy it and not feel shame around how I look or how I feel. That's great because I I think it's such a a good platform for sharing a message. Um, But for me, business-wise, I have got very, very little business from TikTok and I've got lots of business from Instagram. So it's um, because there, there is that myth out there, isn't there, that TikTok is for kids. Um, and I suppose you're, you're finding that, I mean, like, are you finding that your clients are much younger or is there a broad range or, or how are you finding that? Interestingly, then my clients aren't much younger. Um, I think I'm not sure kind of where I'm always amazed at the clients that I do that I'm very lucky to get from TikTok. Cause I always think like, I, I would, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be on TikTok if I was not making content for TikTok. And so um, I think my clients typically aren't much younger, actually. And I think somebody asked me the other day, they were like, why why have you written in your bio, like, if you want weight loss advice, go elsewhere. And it's because actually now that I think about it, that kind of siphons off a lot of people when it comes to fitness. You know, if you do want weight loss, if you do want weight loss advice, I'm I'm not here to poo-poo that, but just don't come to me for it. If you want to find a form of movement that you enjoy. If you want to learn about strength training, you know, that I, I can be here for that. Um, and so it kind of si- immediately siphons off a group of people that, you know, do want weight loss advice and that's fine. And there's 69,000 other personal trainers on TikTok that can help with that. Um, but I think some people just wanted a different way to exercise. And um, hopefully, as I said, uh, that's kind of, that safe it, it, that my TikTok has become a safe place for everybody to go, regardless of shape or size. I think that's so powerful to have. Uh, this is not for these people, and I think this is what everyone should have. Like, because everyone knows who their clients, ideal clients are, and to just say no to these kinds of people basically says yes to all of these other ones in such a stronger way. To be like, oh, I'm not going to. If you want to come and watch me, you can. But it's like no. This is, this is our club. This is for us, people who believe these kind of things. If you're not into this, then this isn't the space for you, which is great because it means that you're going to get less negative comments because the people who believe all the other things aren't going to be there. It's going to be like the people who believe what we believe, this is the place for you. And I think, yeah, more people should do that because I've been actually been thinking about this recently of like, how do I get that into my branding of like, a this isn't for these kinds of people? Because I think like by saying that, it really establishes who you are for. And even that was, um, going back to what we talked about before, even that was quite a big step in the beginning of like my fitness career path was, you know, 
you become a personal trainer, people automatically think you have the answer to how people lose weight, which is kind of this, you know, as I said before, the, the, the a journey that a lot of people are on is, is how do I lose weight? You're a personal trainer. You must have the answer. In actuality, there is so much more that goes into body composition and weight loss, if that's what somebody's after, than just simply exercise. And so I, it, it, I was in the beginning, I was very shy to kind of have that stance on it. Um, and I, I sort of thought that I didn't, I wasn't a real personal trainer if I wasn't helping people with weight loss. Um, and so it took a little while and, and I found a very wonderful community on Instagram that again, I've been talking about this a lot longer than I have, um, which is kind of the health at every size movement. Um, and then um, there is the body positivity movement, which is a movement for marginalized bodies that really don't focus on weight loss, that have a different ethos when it comes to exercise and fitness. And um, and it was like being able to see this whole other movement that was going on that I was like, oh, that's a team that I want to be part of because there is more to life than fitness than just weight loss. But it 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 took me a little while to have the balls to actually do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it like it's so reflective of when you're starting any kind of career and you're just saying yes to everything because it's like because yes. there's this mentality of like oh well if I don't say yes to things oh, there's not going to be enough people there for me to actually be successful to have as an audience because yeah. I won't be able to sustain an income off that whereas actually it's so the opposite which I think it's what everyone goes through that journey and realizes the same thing of like oh actually I can have my niche and I will be way more successful by just having my niche. Totally. I think when I first started out in fitness uh, as a personal trainer, and people would ask for meal plans a lot, you know, oh, I'll, I'll do exercise with you and can you give me meal plans? And I was always like, no. Like, in fact, this is um, not a, people don't like this, but here in the state of California, unless you are a registered dietitian or nutritionist, you cannot give meal plans. It's illegal. And so I would say to people, no, I'm, I'm neither of these things. Therefore, I can't give you a meal plan. And and I probably have lost a lot of business because of that. And um, I probably have lost a decent amount of business from not putting before and after photos up, etc. Um, but one, I couldn't live with myself if I was doing that because that was an entire culture and ethos that really affected me from a young age. And, and I don't want to add to that. And, and so, yes, I probably have lost some business along the way. But um morally do i feel a lot better now that I, that i'm not in that weight loss um environment yeah i suppose with that as well like if someone's asking for a meal plan it's almost like they're wanting the shortcut and they're not going to learn the actual information themselves about what they actually need to know because it's like you technically you could be like yes this is what you should eat this month but then it's like oh well i don't want to eat that same thing forever what do I learn then? Whereas actually just by learning the fundamentals of food and learning a bit of nutrition yourself to get an idea of what's healthy, what is what does my body need to like actually have fuel, then you've got that education and that's going to last forever. It's like building up a skill set within yourself, like that skill set is going to last forever and you're going to have a much healthier life by learning the fundamentals at the start rather than just getting someone to kind of give you the hack, I suppose, like halfway through. Totally. I think a lot of fitness today, and maybe for centuries before, but but a lot of fitness today is you fix it. I'm going to do what they say over there. So I always say super shredded Sally has like 
butter in her coffee and then she just has like she super showed to sally eats and drinks all of this and this is how she works out it, it worked for her therefore it will work for me that's not how it works and so it is that, that i think that people often just want to put it on somebody else as you say and not learn themselves or not have the ability not have the kind of infrastructure to be able to learn themselves and and we think there is this quick quick fix there's so much more to it to that than that but thanks to insta fitness and social media etc we think that all it takes is you know copying what super shredded sally eats in a day and and it doesn't but we think it's that quick fix and and some quite know how to Breaking through that is quite difficult because there's so much of that Insta fitness out there that it's like, mm, no, those what I eat in a day posts are really problematic. And if we all ate the same and exercised the same, we wouldn't look the same. But that's sometimes yeah. just sh- like shouting into the yeah. wind. <laughs> I suppose that's so so much of the culture we're in now is, well, especially talking about TikTok, is like, oh, here's a few seconds um, of just some information. And people go into that thinking, I'm going to learn everything I need to know in a few seconds rather than having the actual the fundamental mentality of being like I need to learn this properly and it's going to take me months or years to actually fully understand it people think that oh actually I can just learn something really quick and then that's going to be the right answer um, I was actually watching a uh, an art account on YouTube the other day and he was going through different TikToks that were like art TikToks of like oh this is how to draw this and this is how to do this and he was going through and like actually all of these things are completely wrong because they're not going, they've not learned the fundamentals to get there. They're just doing these little kind of hacks to try and like shortcut all these different routes. And it's like, no matter what you want to do in life, if you want to be successful at it, you can't hack your way there. You can't just learn 500 hacks. You need, like and Also to learn the 500 hacks to get to where you need to get to would probably take you longer than actually trying to learn everything that you need to know fundamentally we need to have more of a mentality of learning things in a deeper, more understood way, rather than just relying on quick hacks that we see on the internet to try and solve all of our problems. Totally. And and unfortunately, it's in every industry, as you say, within the art industry, yeah. but specifically like kind of within diet culture, it's, oh, if I just have, if I just drink a celery juice every morning and guaranteed weight loss, well, you, you know, you're probably not, you, you, you might lose some water weight, might also get the shits, which is going to make you think you've lost weight. And, you know, it's going to taste disgusting. So these kind of, you're right, these quick fixes that we're so desperate for because, in this example, we've put thinness on a pedestal and we just want to get there immediately. Um, Whereas in actuality, things I've tried to reiterate with clients is, you know, health or fitness isn't a destination. It's going to be a journey, whether you, Mm -hmm. you know... Whatever you're going through in life, whether you've just had surgery for something, whether you've just had a baby, whatever it is, it's, it's always a journey and it needs to be incorporated into your life journey, not think thinness is the destination. I must get there. I suppose this goes to show how um, I am affected by diet culture, but um, for the first time in my life, putting on a little bit of weight over lockdown, um, as so many people have, I was thinking well, if I'm going to lose this, I suppose I'm going to have to like start start eating differently. Um, what advice would you give to people who have got a little bit of paunch from uh, from the recent lockdown and doing a lot less? Like, what should wh- where should they start? Anybody that has come to me that has said, you know, I've put on twenty pounds in lockdown, I've said, then you're lucky. You know, you've you've gone through a pandemic 
and you've put on 20 pounds. You know, that that through a pandemic, we're lucky if that's the worst that's happened during this time. Um, it's also worth noting that I think diet culture and the fitness industry love to maintain this idea that bodies shouldn't change. You know, we should specifically for women, we should have um, the bodies that we might have or might have not had when we were in high school. You know, bodies mm. shouldn't change. And that's completely inaccurate. Our bodies are meant to change. Our bodies are meant to adapt to what is going on around us. For example, a pandemic. Yes, we've moved a lot less, but hopefully we've come out maybe of the pandemic with our sanity in check, you know, with all of our family members around us, etc. And so um, it's it's kind of having compassion for ourselves to say we survived something that, you know, is such a rarity yeah. in anyone's livelihood. Um, and then being able to say, you know, my body changed and that's okay. Um, I understand that people do want to get back to where they were and this idea of trying to get back. But rather what I try to say to people is rather than looking back at how you were in 2018 or 2019, try and look forward and think, okay, well, I've come out of the pandemic what do I want to learn? Do I want to learn how to do a push-up properly? Do I want to, what is my goal? And trying to make it non-aesthetic is also something I try and say to people. People can have aesthetic goals, that's fine. And people can want to change their bodies and how they look. But research goes to show that if you have a non-aesthetic goal, whether that's being able to run a 5K, yeah. plank longer, etc., we're more likely to stick to exercise and, and movement um so I would kind of try and find a non-aesthetic goal if, if you are looking to get some movement back in place I think that's such a positive thing so I feel like you could take that into anything it's like whatever like by having a proper goal that you can slowly work towards like I think like if you're like I think when I think of anyone when it comes to exercise everyone's pretty like every guy's pretty like oh I want a six-pack I want like a massive chest and they'll do push-ups for or sit-ups for like two weeks and be like well I've not got that yet and that was actually quite a lot of work, so I can't really be bothered. So it's like, that was such like a long goal. Whereas it's like with, if you're running, then it's like you can kind of see the progression as you're going. You're like, well, I I, I ran an extra kilometre today as an example. You can see, see that, whereas I feel like as soon as it's aesthetics, then it's like week on week, you don't see the change. When you think of like kids growing up, like you, if you see them once a year, they'd shoot up and it's a massive change. But if you see them every day, you don't see that growth which I think is like, if you can't measure it, then it's a really hard goal to have. Totally. And it kind of hoppers back to something that you were saying earlier about like, you know, we can try and take the hacks um, and hopefully short term changes. But if weight loss is a goal of somebody's, and as I said, I'm not to poo-poo people's goals, but if weight loss is somebody's goal, that can take years, you know, and, and if that is your only goal, that can be incredibly disheartening. And as you say, that's when people sort of give up sounds too negative, but, you know, they, they sort of lose momentum. Um, whereas if it is holding a plank for an extra 30 seconds or an extra minute, you can see those changes a lot quicker. And that gives you so much more momentum than just, you know, oh, the, the number on the scale hasn't gone down or God forbid, actually things like, or I've still got my love handles. This I hate to break it to you, but even if you do lose weight, you might still have your love handles. And so you, there, there is less of a guarantee with more aesthetic goals and really more of a guarantee with non-aesthetic goals. And surely we all want goals that we've got more of a guarantee for. Yeah. And like even just um, going to the fitness thing, like my mum spent a lot of her kind of career in the fitness industry. And I remember one thing she always said to me was muscle weighs more than fat. So it's like, if you're working out loads and you're like, why am I losing weight? You might actually just be putting on muscle. Like, so that's such a, a stupid thing to measure 
when yeah when there's something like how long can I do a plank for which is actually a measurable thing that you can see improvement on totally and and our weight is so dependent on so many different things I think I mentioned it earlier you know if you weigh yourself every morning like hormones affect our weight water weight have you pooped that morning like there's so many variables that aren't just body weight or fat that we that we neglect and and we just look at that number on the scale and it automatically affects our mental health for the rest of the day or the week you know and having that number on the scale be the main reflector of how our mental health is 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 more unhealthy than you know the actual number on the scale so i'm going to ask you one of your favorite questions um what's the best kind of workout (laughs) um i think it's very cliche but it is the one that you enjoy the most uh, and so, you know, I've been through my fair share of trying to find what it is that I enjoy. I personally am not a born runner. I um, really only properly got into fitness when I was about 21. And so I am, I love strength training and that's where my goals are is strength training. Um, and that's what I have available to me. Um, I am very privileged to be able to have the gym outside, etc. cetera. Um, and also it's just, I like how it feels. Um, and so my four favorite forms of exercise is strength training. And typically speaking, people that come to me as well, that's what they're after. Because I think strength training itself can be a very daunting experience. You, know, you go into the weights room and men or women, it is a very daunting place, that weights room. So um, my favorite forms of exercise are um, strength training, but it's very personable and it's very personal. And um, it's the one that you enjoy the most. I think like anyone listening to this, that can be taken into any part of your whole life. It's like Mm -hmm. try all the things and then find a thing that works for you and the thing that you enjoy the most. Don't listen to what someone else says because what someone else's opinion is isn't going to be right for you. That's what's right for them. So like find the thing that's right for you, ignore everyone else and just do more of that. Yeah, just do more of, you know, you, whether that's, you know, and I, I, with regards to fitness, I have so many people say, oh, well, I can only manage a, a, a walk a day or whatever. And I'm like, Walking, I don't know why people like piss on the idea of walking. Walking is an incredibly form of ex- incredible form of exercise. Like, and I wish people didn't belittle it as like, oh, I just went walking today. Great. That was probably amazing for your mental health because you got out in some fresh air. You got your legs moving a little bit, you know, change scenery, all of that. Yeah. Do what works for you and what feels good for you. And if you don't know what that is, as you say, try them all. Um, Laura, it's been amazing to chat to you, mate. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I think that you're doing such a great job. You're you're enjoying your career. You've crafted it yourself and um, you're really helping a bunch of people along the way. So um, I'm really excited to see like, like your growth is so fast as well. Like I said to you, I, I looked at your account the other week and it was 200,000 and now you're at 300,000. So this growth seems to be going through the roof. So I, I just wish you all the continued success. I think I think it's coming because you are such an authentic person that is truly talking about what they care about in such a, a relatable and friendly way. And I just, uh, yeah, I just wish you all the success in the world. So thanks for coming on, mate. And uh, yeah, can you let all of our listeners know where they can find you online? Of course. And thank you so much for having me. This has honestly been a pleasure. I am on TikTok, unsurprisingly, at, La- at Laura Giasi, which is G-H-I-A-C-Y. And then on Instagram, I'm Laura underscore Giasi. Um, we need to work on that underscore. But yes, that is where I found. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much.